Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. I want to talk about worry tonight. It's uh, this is the this is the message that chose me. One of the Christian musicians that I grew up listening to was a guy called, a guy called Larry Norman, and um, he wasn't that good. <laughs> it was kind of ooh, that's. But he cheerfully sang in one of his songs, Nothing ever changes, everything remains the same. We are what we are until the day that we die. Uh, The truth is, for me, if there's not something beyond the natural way of things, then I think Christianity and any other religious belief, for that matter, is utterly pointless. And I think we're wasting our time being here. And I think the gospel that we call the gospel is not good news and it's without context and it's without content because it's just a bunch of words that actually don't mean anything beyond what is. And we are stuck, if that is our understanding of gospel, religion, belief, with the nothing ever changes, everything remains the same, we are what we are till the day that we die. And a lot of you are locked into that mindset of thinking. I found it interesting that the guys uh, sung one of the songs that that really relates to a scripture. There's something that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, which is familiar to a lot of people who've been raised in church. And this is what it says in the NIV. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. This is what it says in the New English translation. And we know that all things work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now the question is, what does it mean in all things God is working for good? What does it mean? It's an important question. What does it mean in all things God is working for good because a lot of you don't believe that and can't see that and don't know the process that makes that a reality. Now, I also have to say I have a huge problem with this verse if we don't interpret it through the right lens because does this mean that all things only work together for good if you love God? If that is the case then our belief in God, our understanding of God, what you might call the Christian faith or the Christian religion, differs not one jot from any religion ever created by man at any time throughout history that says if you do this for the gods, the gods will do this for you. So if we use that lens, I have a problem with this verse. I would rather see it through this lens, that it means more that you only become truly aware of how and how much all things are working together for your good when you love God. When you love God, it is an awareness of what has already been happening 
before you were ever prepared to acknowledge that it was happening. And part of coming to faith in Jesus and becoming a follower of Jesus is to come to the realisation that all things are working for good through God in our lives. Now, we have to put some context on that. See, the good of God, the provision of God, is not a one-off event, but rather a series of events culminating in a manifested miracle. Our problem is we look at one event and we try to assess how much the goodness of God is working when actually you can't do that most times, occasionally you can, but most times the good and the goodness of God is not a one event thing. It's many events that come together and the words I use that they culminate in a manifest miracle, something out of the ordinary, something unexpected, something that changes things, something like we sung at the beginning that said open the windows of heaven pour out a blessing. What's the first part of that? Um, Turn it around. The thing that turns things around. And there are things we all need turning around. So I believe our willing participation in the process is all that's required to deliver us into that space. Now, our willing participation is not the works that we do. It's the attitude and the heart that we have that allows us to begin to see... What exactly is going on for us? And then we begin to participate in it. Otherwise, we can miss it and somehow, because of our own stubbornness, can stand in the way of the events that are actually conspiring to bring good in your life. There is a conspiracy that heaven has devised against you. And it's the conspiracy to make all things work together for good. Heaven is conspiring against you. Don't stop the conspiracy. Submit to it. Let the goodness that is in that conspiracy affect your life. But it happens as you're willing to participate in the process. That's all that's required of you. Now, one of my favourite parts of the New Testament narrative of Jesus, uh, and this has become so in this last year, is the story recorded in Matthew 17, verse 24 through 27 where the temple officials come to Jesus and his disciples and say, you haven't paid your taxes. Now, some of you haven't got to that point yet, but taxes are a burden you will carry, uh, whether you like them or not. Um, Now, I must a little beef here um, that we need to address as we move to queue. Um, We feel obliged to pay our taxes to the government, but not necessarily to contribute to a system that will bring greater blessing and greater goodness in people's lives that the Bible calls the tithe. It's a very fair system that means that we all take ownership and participate in what God is doing. We'll say more about that on another occasion. But they come for the taxes and Jesus and his disciples on this occasion don't have the money for the taxes because he has to teach Peter a lesson. So he says to Peter, Peter, just go down to the Sea of Galilee and cast the line into the water and you'll catch a fish and the first fish you catch will have a coin in its mouth. Bring the coin and pay the taxes with that coin. Now it sounds far-fetched and uh, I less care now about whether that's a true story. I think it is, but actually, like all of these things, there's something more significant that touches our life, which is this, that that it's one thing to say there was a coin in the fish's mouth. The question is, how did the coin get there in the first place? 
Because if Jesus magicked a coin into the fish's mouth when Peter caught it on the seashore, I've got a simpler way of dealing with this. Peter, just put out your hand, put your other hand on it, take your hand off. Oh! And we suddenly got dynamo on the streets of Jerusalem. There's the coin. So Jesus could have easily, in this miracle, just said, put your hand out there. There's the coin. But what he was wanting to show Peter was that this process of miracle is not a one event thing. It's many events that tie together that when we submit to them, culminate in a miracle of the greatest order that meets the needs in our life. There are some taxes about to get paid tonight. Because you're going to understand the process and receive the miracle. So the truth is, somebody at some time on a boat out in the sea had to have a coin drop into probably the fold of their fishing garment that when they leant over the boat, the coin falls into the water. At that moment, a fish is swimming by and it sees it, thinks it's a lure, swallows the fish, swims around in the sea until a specific moment when a specific guy comes and casts one specific line in a specific space in a specific place in the lake and catches the fish that now has the coin in its mouth but the miracle didn't happen then the miracle had already been happening way before then Peter was just becoming a participant in a process of events that is all things working together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose that's you and that's me and these miracles are happening for you and me all the time there's a coin in the fish's mouth waiting for you to catch the fish if you'll submit to the process you'll get your fish there's another story I was reading this morning as well in the Old Testament in the book of 1 Kings and chapter 17 and it's verse 7 through 16 and it talks about the prophet Elijah the old Hebrew prophet Elijah who in a time of famine and a time of drought uh, was in the land and there was a, a widow woman, a woman who'd lost her husband and she was gathering some sticks because she had just a little bit of grain and a little bit of oil and she was about to bake a cake with that oil and that grain so that her and her son, because her son was left with her, could eat that food and then curl up in the house and die because there was no food to be had anywhere. It was drought and it was famine. But lo and behold, Elijah is told by God to go to a certain place where he meets these certain women picking up these certain sticks to go and bake this certain cake to, to then be in a situation where she feeds her son and then they go to the process of starving to death because they have no food. But when Elijah comes, he says an incredible thing. He says, here's what I want you to do. He says, how much, how much meal, how much grain have you got? How much oil? She says, just enough to bake one cake for me and my son and then we're going to die of starvation but we're going to enjoy this last meal together. And Elijah said something interesting. He said, go and bake the cake but he says, first bake a cake for me. And bring that cake to me and give me the cake. Now, of course, if you figure out the mass of this, that means if she bakes a cake for Elijah, because she only has enough grain and enough oil for one cake, and he gets the cake, there's no 
nothing left to bake the cake for her and the son. But what she does, she participates in the miracle because she's met this guy obscurely at a place where she shouldn't have met anybody who's now speaking to her about what God wants to do for her. So she goes home, she bakes the cake, she gives it to Elijah. Lo and behold, when she goes back into the pot where she keeps her grain, there's as much grain left in the pot as there was before she baked the cake. And when she looks in the, in the wine dispenser, the oil dispenser, there's as much oil left in the oil dispenser as there was before she baked the cake. And the story says that she then had enough to feed her and her son for the whole way through the famine and the drought. So while everyone else is in famine and drought, this woman's provision keeps multiplying. It miraculously changes. She begins to participate in a manifested miracle because she is participating in the process that is events upon events that bring you to know that God is doing things, that God is working for good and he's working for your good. In Psalms 23 verse 6, uh, King David, the great poet, songwriter of the age, the Elton John, the whatever, he was the big, he was the big cheese in terms of songs and music writing and uh, David the king wrote in Psalm 23, which is the Lord is my shepherd psalm, he wrote, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now forget that last phrase for one moment. I'm not sure that that's got anything to do with heaven because at the time when he wrote this, they had no concept of what we think is the end of things. They had a very different view of how God would manifest his kingdom. But what struck me was he said, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Goodness and mercy is following us all the days of our life. The problem is if you're running ahead with your own life, goodness and mercy never catches up with you. So you do your thing in your way, but you see the Bible also talks about standing still and seeing the goodness of God. The Bible also talks about be still and know that I am God. For some of you, you just gotta stop running. You've got to stop striving. You've got to stop trying to figure, how can I make this happen? Because goodness and mercy is following you, but if you don't stop and let it catch up with you, how is it going to manifest in the process? We're all busy, 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 up here, in here, out here. There's a time you've got to stop and you've got to wait. There's a strange thing in the Bible. It says, wait on the Lord, right? Which doesn't mean God's not coming, and it also means a kind of a servant thing, but, but also you've got to sometimes just learn to wait for what's coming. Stop all your stuff and your figuring and let, let grace and mercy catch up with you. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. Another verse in Deuteronomy 31 and verse 8 in the Old Testament. It says, The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. So it's speaking of this thing that there are events that are already being prepared so that we can flow into and enter into those things. There comes a time to wait and then there comes a time to move, but all focused on our belief that, 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 uh, that, that uh, all things are working and they're working for our good because we love God and are called according to his purpose, which helps us to see what is happening. So... 
How does worry come into this? Matthew chapter 6 in, in what's known as the Beatitudes message of Jesus. In verse 25, Jesus says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Now that's, that's quite a statement, isn't it? Um, and I think for most of you that's water off a duck's back. It's like, as we say, banging your head against a brick wall. Because all of us, all of us, every one of us in here, struggle with this thing called worry. And it's a destroyer. I'm going to tell you some things about worry when we bring this to a close. But Jesus said, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food, the body more important for clothes. That's, that's a, a request for us to be grateful for what really matters in life more than the stuff. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Now listen to this. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? What's the po what are you accomplishing? What do I achieve when I worry? What does it solve? What does it correct? And that's Jesus' point. But he gives us a definitive statement, don't worry about your life. Now, what he's meaning is there is no need to worry, right? It's not a, you dumb people, you useless, faithless, hopeless, scum of the earth. It's actually a statement of, to uplift your spirit to say, you don't need to worry. Now, how many of you can receive that tonight? When you're in the midst of stuff, when, when the famine's on, when you only have one pot of grain and you only have a little bit of oil, when you don't have the money for the, the taxes, how many of you can believe you don't need to worry? I think of any of the things that I would choose in the Bible that are difficult to comply with without a miracle in our life, it's this one. You don't need to worry. And yet Jesus is really saying you don't need to worry. It's okay. Now, if we get stuck in what we said at the beginning, in just an event mode, we miss the reality that the truth of why we don't need to worry is because there is event upon event upon event upon event upon event that when we open our spirit and lives, we're on a collision course with the manifestation of that that then produces the miracle, the coin in the fish's mouth, the prophet who meets us at the well, the Jesus who turns up at the right time. He goes on to say a little later in, uh, in verse... Um, uh, 31, so do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So it's not an issue of, you know, you don't have to need stuff anymore, because we all need stuff, and we want nice stuff, and, and there's nothing wrong with aspiring in our life to live in the best, and in the goodness, and in prosperity, and in provision, and in health, but he, what he's saying is that the pagans run after all those things as well and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But change your focus. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Not your righteousness. 
his righteousness, which is a gift that he has given to you, that when you realize that you're righteous, here's what righteousness does. Righteousness makes you worthy. And some aspects of the gospel have never transitioned people from unworthiness to worthiness. It leaves you stuck in unworthiness that, well, God is kind and God is forgiving, but I still am and I will always be unworthy. But actually righteousness makes you worthy. When I make you righteous, it's as if you had never done anything wrong, never failed. You are brought back to the state, the original condition that you were supposed to be in, and there is a worthiness. So now in this seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, you realize you're actually worth this happening to you. Some of you don't think you're worth your life being blessed. You are. You don't think you're worth being prospered. You are. You don't see why you should be counted worthy of being promoted or helped or pushed forward or healed or set free. Or blessed with a partner, whatever, whatever, whatever. But you see, this makes you worthy. So that God says, yeah, I've made you worthy of this stuff. So stop fretting. Stop worrying. Stop striving. It says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Little practical wisdom. And then six things that I want to say. So just imagine here, we've got a scroll, okay? So we're rolling out this scroll of paper. We're rolling it right across the stage, okay? And here I'm going to write a word on it. Here I'm going to write on it, yesterday, okay? Yesterday. So there's yesterday written on here. Over here, I'm going to put tomorrow, okay? Tomorrow. So we've got yesterday here on this end of the scroll, And tomorrow here, and I'm going to write here, today, okay? Today. Now, here's the issue. When I reach out, I only have enough space to hold on to today. I I can't handle yesterday, and I can't handle tomorrow. And the problem is, when we get concerned about yesterday, and we get concerned about Tomorrow, we lose the ability to handle today because we're trying to reach further than we were ever designed to reach. You were only ever designed to be able to cope with today. And all of the wisdom of the narrative of Scripture tries to bring us back to today, to now, to this, and to realize God sees us in the now, we live in the now, God's interested in the now, and you are not expected to handle your past or to understand your future. You're meant to just take today. Because he says, tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He doesn't say that day will be without trouble. But it says that in all things, God is working for the good. So I know in this day, in this space, all things are working together for the good. Because I love God and I begin to see it. So, so when I move into the next day... Actually, what I do is I just move today into next day. I just move today. So I'm only ever trying to handle that one day at a time. Where is my heart today? Where is my faith today? Do I actually believe I don't need to worry today? See, but there's so much stuff and there's so much thing. Yeah, that's the problem. But Jesus was saying, there's enough to go with one day. But if you can conclude in this one day, I don't need to worry because all things 
are working together for my good, then it allows me within that day to have a hope that takes me beyond all the difficulties and all the distresses. So I'm going to give you six things as we finish this little talk tonight. Number one, worry never robs tomorrow of its problems. It only robs today of its joy. Every day that you live worrying about tomorrow is a day you cannot have any joy, you cannot have any peace, you cannot enjoy living, you cannot enjoy where you are, because worry never robs tomorrow of its problems. So why do we do it? That's why Jesus said, why are you worrying? Not fixing anything, but you can handle today. I designed you for today. If you live in the grace, remember David, that goodness and mercy are following me. If you live in that goodness and mercy in today, then you'll find its joy again. Number two, I love this one. Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all of the thoughts are drained. That's an awesome statement. Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind. If encouraged, it cuts a channel into which all of the thoughts are drained. You know that I'm right, that when you worry, everything else drains into that channel. Is that right? How many of you know that's true? Everything drains into that channel. You can't think straight about anything because everything now drains into that channel that started as a, a thin stream of fear because really that's where worry is rooted. Worry is rooted in fear. I am afraid. That's why Jesus said also, fear not. You don't need to be afraid. Why? Because all things are working together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Let me tell you just a little, little brief story here because I've got just a minute. Um, many of you know now we're here, we, we now have a base in Salt Lake City for whatever it is that, that we need to launch that God is doing and, and we're thankful to God for the provision of that and the miracles that surround that. But um, back in March, uh, now back in August, uh, Chris and I looked at the apartments that I've showed you, the one that we pulled up, the random address that says live here, you know, all of that miracle that goes with that. And uh, they treated us like as though, you know, why would you ever think that we want to rent apartments to anybody? You know, it's one of those things, wasn't it? Is that March? Yeah, well, oh, that's right, March. It's like, why would you think we'd ever want to rent apartments? And, and uh, anyway, in, when we, we were there March or August when we went to get the bank account, you were right. So in March, when we were there, this was, this was the attitude. But on the last day, I, I just felt one of those moments, a bit like the woman being met by Elijah who's gathering sticks because you think this ain't working. And uh, I, I was about to put this thing to bed, you know, like the woman. Let's just bake a cake, eat the cake and I've done, it's finished. But on the last day, I, I heard God speak to me clearly to say, go to this branch of this bank and talk to them about opening an account. Now, if you know anything about international banking now, that is not easy anymore because of uh, terrorism and money laundering. And we're not US citizens and we do not have a social security number which you need to open a bank account. 
But God said to me, go to this bank on this day and um, uh, this branch. And so I went in and uh, I said, look, here's the problem. We're, we're British. I need to open a bank account. Don't have social security number. Sat down with the guy and I had favour. Why? Because all things work together for good to those who love God. I had favour with this guy. So he jumped through hoops and worked around the system and then his manager had to sign it off. So he called his manager over to sign it off and his manager came over and he said, this guy, Hans from England, and uh, his manager said, where from? Uh, and I said, York. He said, I lived for three years in Harrogate. Right? This is a, this is a, a small branch of, of Wells Fargo Bank in the U.S., this guy had lived in Harrogate for three years and used to come through to York every weekend. So you can imagine we had some connection. And some fa of all the banks in all the state of Utah, of all the branches, I happened to be in the one where the guy spent three years in Harrogate. So he says, what are we trying to do here? Oh, no problem, just leave it to me. Click, 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 click. 20 minutes, I've got a US bank account. Now, you say, well, wonderful for you. Brilliant, fantastic. But here's the issue. When then I went back uh, last October, November, October, September, October, um, and, and really felt now this was the time, I went back to the same apartment block, which is the one I showed you that said live here on the... Um, and uh, this time they couldn't do enough for me. I mean, they were like, oh, we've got this, we want to show you this, this is right. Remember, this is the apartment block where the show apartment is called York, okay, Right? All things working together for God. This time couldn't do enough for me. But the problem was, in order to rent the apartment, I had to have a cashier's check. A cashier's check is what you get from a bank. But to get it from the bank in the US, I had to have a bank account. So if anything had happened previously in March, we couldn't have done it because we didn't have a bank account. The only way you could pay them was with a cashier's check. And you can't have a cashier's check unless you've got a bank account. But lo and behold, now when I have the favour and it's the right time, in the right place, at the right place, place for, for the right thing, I already have the bank account because that was opened back in March and now I have the favour and now we have an open doorway. Why? Because all things are working together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It wasn't one event, it's all those events that bring you to a point of miracle and I'm wanting to encourage you that those are happening in your life and for you to be aware that that goodness and that mercy is upon you and it's upon you right now. So like Jesus said, there's no need to worry. It's okay, I've got this. Get it with me. So, number three. If you treat every situation as a life and death matter, you'll die lots of times. You know what the point of that is, don't you? Every situation is not a life and death matter. But when you worry, every situation is a life and death matter. And then that stream, that trickle of fear starts to cut away in you. Then everything drains into that fear. But actually, there are very few things that are life and death matters. I think the one thing that's a life and death matter is the decision of who you're going to seek and whose kingdom you're going to build. That's why Jesus said, if you'll seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that's the life and death matter. All these things will be added to you. Number four, worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but never gets you anywhere. Number five, the reason why worry kills more people than work 
is that more people worry than work. <laughs> Which speaks for itself, doesn't it? Okay, here's the sixth and the last one. Every tomorrow has two handles. We can take hold of it with the handle of anxiety or the handle of faith. Every tomorrow has two handles. We can take hold of it with the handle of anxiety, which is the manifestation of worry, or we can take hold of it with the handle of faith that says, Jesus said, I don't need to worry. God said, goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. Paul wrote in scripture, all things are working together for good. And that as I give my love towards God and I accept that relational invitation, then I begin to see what is already happening and begin to participate in what God has already organized and arranged on my behalf that is working for me, to me, around me all of the time. And I submit to the conspiracy of heaven, which is for the goodness of heaven to invade the problems of earth to where now I don't grab the handle of anxiety for my security, but I take hold of the handle of faith that says, God, you love me, you care about me, and all these things are working together for my good, which means that I might not see all that I need to be seeing at the moment, but I'm going to see it as it is necessary. When I've got my last piece of meal and my last bit of oil, when I've got the taxes that are demanded, when all these things are coming in, that's the point at which I believe, Lord, you are with me and I will not worry because sufficient to every day are the things that we need to worry about. It's got enough trouble of its own. Let tomorrow worry about itself, but I'm taking the handle of faith that says that the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God are my portion and because of that all things are working for good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. If this is not true, then I'm leaving the church. Seriously, I'm not saying that for effect. If this is not true, I'm leaving the church. I just don't need another place to come. I just don't need another sermon to hear. I just don't need another song to sing. But what I need is something where heaven invades earth, where there is a reality that is beyond our reality, a truth that is beyond our truth, a goodness that is beyond our despair, a hope that is beyond our worry. And I believe we find that when we understand and receive and accept not the love of a pagan concept of some God who rewards good for service, but the Jesus concept of a God who says that God is already at work and I just want you to lose yourself into that. Submit, to yield, to give, to understand, to accept. So what's it going to be? The handle of anxiety or the handle of faith? Spell your heads for one moment. Father, in this place, I pray for every precious, precious person. And uh, I confess, along with everybody who's not a liar, that this worry thing is a worrying thing. But I also choose to accept that you said you don't need 
to worry. Thank you for coins in fish's mouth. Thank you for encounters by a brook. Thank you for bank managers who give us favour. Thank you for people who help us. Thank you for, for doors that open. Thank you for roads that appear. Thank you for healing that shows up. Thank you for provision and prosperity that comes. Thank you for, thank you for promotions and recognitions that help along the way. Thank you for seeing the good in all things. Let it be part of every life, I pray tonight. As by choice, we choose to let go of the handle of anxiety that has been our first go-to port of call and take hold of the handle of faith that accepts the goodness of God. And eyes that are open, I pray tonight, Lord, to see that unfolding in manifest miracle in every life. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Pretty blessed, aren't we? Champion. All right. So, have we got a song on? Yeah. So we're going to have a song and we're going to pay it forward. So you want to be ready again, you can do that online if you go to my donate off the website. But today is the day. Be blessed. Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again. Thanks again.